Hi, I'm Tony Karen Brown. And I'm Benedict Evans. And it looks like this week the debate on anti-competitive behaviour in the big tech is back on. Well, it didn't actually ever go anywhere, did it? But it's it's a big topic. <laughs> well, it's, not, it's nice to be handed a topic on a plate. <laughs> like, what the hell am it. I going to write about this week? Oh, OK. Thank thanks, you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you, FTC and Can. Let's do that. So, so this is an interesting one. So we'll tell the story and then, then dig into it. So there is a company called Within, which my old company, Andreessen Horowitz, invested in which um, was a VR content company that pivoted several times and met and pivoted into doing VR fitness, which is basically you're playing a game that gets you to wave your arms and legs around and it makes you more fit, um, which is which is kind of interesting. Don't ask Benedict to do your marketing or your pitching. It's interesting. I mean, it's an interesting thesis that it's another way of motivating you and getting you to make those movements other than having like a smiley, happy person and fluorescent neon shouting at you on the screen. And this is the app called Supernatural, correct? So it's VR Fitness. And um, Facebook bought it um, because obviously Facebook thinks that its future is in VR. And they bought it for an undisclosed price. And I have no information on this at all, but I strongly suspect that that means it wasn't really working and they didn't pay very much for it. Because when stuff works and it's a big deal, you hear about it. And I kind of suspect this was a soft landing or an aqua hire, as we say. So anyway, um, this was announced, I don't know, a few months ago. And this week, the US FTC said that they are suing to stop this deal going through, which I think otherwise actually would have completed this weekend. So very last minute. And so this is interesting because there's a whole bunch of kind of novel antitrust theories Mm. going on here. And the kind of context here is, and in fact, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg today saying that um, Lena Khan, who's the head of the FTC, had overruled her staff to, to, to decide to sue. And so Lena Khan is got it became known when she wrote this very widely circulated paper basically saying that u.s antitrust policy had become way too focused on consumer prices at the expense of everything else and amazon was the perfect case study of this because amazon is cheap yet a monopolist or what is it a monopolist it's got 40 percent of e-commerce and like a tiny percentage of u.s retail but it has this large market share and yet it and it has you know characteristics of market dominance and yet it's cheap not expensive and that might be bad for consumers because it means there aren't alternative online retailers because they can't compete with Amazon because it's cheap rather than because it's expensive. And so this long-term um, focus on low prices as a test for um, competition theory in the US had kind of gone too far astray. Um, and in fact, in the EU, which I don't think she mentioned, or the UK, other places say, well, no, that's one of many objectives. And you also think about consumer choice, different options, different possibilities in the market. And that needs to be balanced against you know, having one company that's just incredibly cheap. And so that's some context. Worth adding to Lena Khan that this is part of her antitrust thesis that was the whole thing that for too long regulators had dropped the ball in waiting for companies to be way too big before actually going after them. So this is sort of a separate point. So the kind of the Amazon point was um, Amazon demonstrate her Amazon argument was Amazon demonstrates that low price can't be your only test of consumer harm. And indeed, consumer harm may not be the only test. You should also think about encouraging innovation, creation of more companies, even if that's neutral to consumers. It's better to have five companies than one, even if the prices are the same, and arguably even if the prices are slightly higher. Um, so, that's, so that's kind of one piece. So the second piece is um, that tech companies have, in part, part of the whole sort of Silicon Valley ecosystem is big companies buy small companies. 
as a combination of hiring outsourced R&D or building a market position, a position in a market that they want to get into. And late last year, the FTC published a study that they got by collecting data from Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and Microsoft, which I wrote about at the time. And the headline is that there was sort of 400 deals from those five companies from 2010 Mm -hmm. to 2019, which if you divide by five and divide by 10, is actually not that much. And actually, the vast majority of them were very small companies. Um, you know, to less than $10 million, less than 10 people. And they're actually a very small percentage of all the acquisitions, all the startups in the field or indeed all of the exits, because, you know, I think it was something like 60 or 70 of those 400 were more than $50 million, which is the point that anyone might have made any money. And there were sort of two and a half, two and a half thousand exits overall in that period that meant for more than $50 million. So it's actually quite a small part of the tech industry, this idea that Google and Facebook just hoover up all the companies is nonsense. Um, but so, so the sort of the thesis is, and this is kind of exemplified by things like Instagram, and WhatsApp, but also things like Amazon buying Zappos and diapers, is that these companies make acquisitions of relatively small competitors. And that fits sits outside conventional antitrust um, targeting windows. Because this isn't like, it's not like, you know, Amazon buying Microsoft is not a huge acquisition. It's not a huge market. It's quite hard to say that company that you bought has market dominant market share in something. Um, you know, I don't know what market definition you would have used to say that Instagram had dominant market share other than dominant market share of Instagram. Um, and yet you look back five and 10 years later, Instagram is probably the single most valuable part of Facebook. It's probably more valuable than the Blue App or certainly more valuable than WhatsApp. And so it's sort of, oops, we missed that. What do we do about that? And how do we get so we don't do kind of ex post facto saying, oh, crap, we missed that. How do you do how do you regulate startup technology? And this is a much higher level question in an industry that changes so quickly. That's it. How do you regulate without being 10 years too late? Because it's kind of okay to turn up five years later in supermarkets because nothing's changed that much. But if you turn up five years later in tech, then like the whole thing's changed and it's far too late. And Khan says this, she says, we want to be forward looking. We want to anticipate the problem. But to your point, innovation is completely unpredictable in this space. So it's really hard to predict the future and what this is going to look like. Yeah. So there's this whole description that says you basically go from X post to X anti-regulation, which is instead of like waiting, watching, diagnosing the problem, doing a three-year market study, going to court, arguing for three years. And then like by the time you've done it, it's completely irrelevant. Yeah, like oopsie daisies. And like the kind of the classic case study for this is the EU arguing over online shopping on Google, which it took them like 15 years. And so it became, it was comp- or 10 years. So it was completely irrelevant by the time they gone through it. So there was this whole shift within regulation, A, to move beyond looking at price, B, to think about m- impact of very big companies on very small companies, and C, to try and get ahead of the whole thing rather than waiting to find out what happened, by which point it may be too late. And so all of that circles in on Facebook buying Meta and the FTC turning around and saying, we think you shouldn't be allowed to do this, which is what's happened this week. And so you've got all this kind of really interesting sort of shift in problems of how you apply competition theory to industries that work like this. You've also got the other side of this, which is, um, yes, but if you don't let Facebook buy within, name me any deal at all that you would allow to go through. Like, why is... Microsoft allowed to buy Activision, which is whatever it is, a $50 billion acquisition. 
Didn't Katie Newton um, t uh, tweeted this? It's going to be really weird. He said something along the lines of, it's going to be really weird if Facebook can't buy a small fitness app, but Microsoft can buy Activision Blizzard for whatever it was, 68, what was 69 billion. Like, that's an interesting concept. Yeah. So playing devil's advocate here, you can certainly argue like Activision is far from the only games company and within is the only fitness app. The the problem of that is, of course, it's, it's kind of a market definition problem. I mean, you know, if you don't, if you haven't sort of spent time engaging with this stuff, it can sound kind of completely circular. Mm. Like within has a monopoly and within's product. Well, well, yeah. Um, and of course, this is always how antitrust works, because, of course, you know, when you're um, in any competition case in any industry, the people being sued will always say we compete with everyone. You know, we're a small port part of this huge market. So Coca-Cola will say they compete with water, and which is kind of true in a way. Um, and they do compete with water. And they certainly, they internally, they think about it like that. And of course, whoever the government or the regulator will say, no, you will compete in sugar-flavored um, soda Brown sold substance. in red-colored cans yeah. in the following places. You can basically compete with Pepsi and maybe Red Bull, but that's it. And those are kind of both true. So you kind of have to argue based on the context. Um, and of course, so when, you know, when, when Microsoft was in trouble, whatever it is now, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it was Microsoft has a monopoly on commercial PC operating systems, which both sounds absurd, but it's also kind of, well, yeah, of course, yeah, like that sounds like a sensible way of thinking about the market. Um, of course, that gets you into trouble where you, you have the EU saying that, that, that uh, Apple has a monopoly on app stores on the iPhone. Um, which is, well, yeah, but like, what problem are we, what, that's just a descriptive statement. What, what's the problem we're trying to solve here? And I think that the kind of there's there's a sort of there's a sort of general point here, I suppose, which is, you know, are you going to say that large companies cannot buy small leaders in small emerging spaces so that they can bring that in and make that part of their company? Because that's an extremely broad shift in the way that not just tech but kind of any industry would work. So are you going to say that, I don't know, that that Amazon cannot buy Whole Foods? You know, Whole Foods has a tiny market share in grocery. And more interesting, are you going, I mean, the, uh, another interesting one here, of course, is Amazon buying One Medical, which I think we talked about last week. There's no possible basis on which you can say One Medical has any kind of meaningful market power in the US healthcare industry. But you could turn the other way and say this is an increase in Amazon's market power. We don't want Amazon to have that kind of market power. And that's kind of a conglomerate theory. At least with um, that would be stretching it even broader, actually, because, you know, at least we know within is VR and Facebook thinks VR is its whole future, whereas healthcare is clearly way outside anything that Amazon traditionally does. And to be clear, the FTC is reviewing the Amazon merger with One Medical, isn't it? I believe. Yeah, exactly. So there is this whole sort of generalized, like, on one side, yes, saying, well, anything other than, I don't know, um, Microsoft, you could say the old school antitrust theory would say Microsoft can't buy Salesforce. And I think we could all understand that's a proper conversation and a proper argument. We well understood reasons why that would be the case. Why that merger. Like that, yeah. yeah, that's a problem. That's a question. We should argue about that. Um, AWS can't buy Cloudflare. Stay. Like you could have that whole conversation. That would be an interesting conversation. But you, you, we would understand that. We've taken a sharp left turn with this one. Yeah. On the, that, that would be kind of within our traditional framework of what you can and can't do. Like that's what we would understand you raise questions about that. Um, but to say like big company cannot buy, so like Google couldn't buy Nest, for example. No question that deal would have been turned down. Amazon couldn't buy Ring. Because the practical effect would probably be that Nest would have gone out of business. 
within would probably have gone out of business. So, and then of course, Amazon buying Ring means that Amazon now has critical mass to compete with Apple or Google in the smart home. And Apple and Google did not build their, their smart home stuff with acquisition. They built it organically. Amazon decided to build it by buy. So no, no, Google bought Nest. Amazon decided bought Ring. And Microsoft, sorry, Apple hasn't bought anything. So what's your pro kind of pro-competitive policy here? Do you say Google can't buy Nest and it goes out of business? Amazon buys Ring. Apple, it, neither, like what, like, what is your kind of theory of the logical endpoint here? Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting to go back that there's a case in a different field here, which is the DOJ is suing um, Google over, T over TAC. So TAC is Google pays web browsers to be the default search engine. In fact, search engines pay web browsers to be the default search engine. And so Google is paying something like $15 billion to be the default search engine in Mozilla and Safari and whatever else is out there, basically Mozilla and Safari. And the DOJ is saying that this is anti-competitive behavior on the part of Google. Problem one, Microsoft, sorry, Apple has 80% of American teenagers on iPhones. Is, Apple is saying to Google, you have to pay us $10 billion to be the default search engine. So who is- Who's being who anti-competitive here? <laughs> who is being anti-competitive to who here exactly? And the second problem is, of course, that almost all of Mozilla's revenue comes from this. And so if Google stops doing this, Mozilla goes out of business by default and there's no competitive web browser. Well, the main competitive web browser, the main competitive web browser goes out of business. And so what consumer benefit have we just delivered here exactly? Um, and so that sense of like, what are the moving parts in the broader ecosystem, I think is kind of interesting because you have to think it's not just that Facebook is trying to build VR. It's also that Google and Microsoft, sorry, Google and Apple and maybe Microsoft, if anyone remembers them, are trying to build VR. Certainly Apple is and Google is in some ways as well, but Apple clearly has got devices on the way. And Facebook's whole strategic imperative is that there isn't another monopoly on devices owned by someone else that can screw them. So Facebook looks at all of this as pro-competitive or certainly as competitive with Apple. It's just that Apple hasn't launched anything yet. Um, and so you've got this question of like, this is kind of a multi-dimensional competitive landscape. It's not just, well, you've got this company that's got this dominant position in VR and now they're buying. Now they're taking a dominant position in, fit in fitness. Well, that's an incredibly narrow way of thinking about this. And it kind of precludes you actually thinking about the consumer, the outcome for consumers in terms of, well, what's the, the, what are the propositions going to be on the market? Um, and so you've got this, these sort of really interesting kind of problems if you're a competition regulator of like, you don't want to spend 15 years doing this. You don't want to come back 10 years after the acquisition and go, ah, crap, we probably shouldn't have done that. But at the other side, if you try and sort of sit down and predict that That's like, it. well, with like fitness is going to be a dominant category on Metaverse and within is a dominant player. So if we, we have to stop Facebook from buying within, otherwise within will dominate the Metaverse fitness. Like, That's a really challenging speculative theory. And Benedict, there's, there's something Someone also, there's a lot of reasons, like that is one reason why obviously Khan's move here is pretty groundbreaking or unique or different. Um, one antitrust academic was saying that what made this case also interesting was the extent to which 
the end decision is was going to hinge on someone, in this case, probably a judge assessment of what makes VR, that definition of VR. So to your point, not only is it really hard to predict the future, but on top of that, it's really hard to define these market shares or marketplaces or these new innovative pieces, which is also quite interesting, I find. Yeah, it's based on based the VR market definition and the fitness market definition. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of like looking at... Um, it's like looking at Instagram and saying, is this, are we going to define this as mobile social? Which in hindsight is like, well, duh, yes. <laughs> but at the time wasn't quite so obvious. Yes. Um, I mean, the, the, the other thread, which is exactly the point, now we know that mobile became everything. And clearly there's a bunch of people who think that, think that VR will become the next universal platform, but that's not like- That wasn't the case 10 given. years ago. Like it was, it's, it's hard to understand no. where the future is today, but that we couldn't have predicted that five, 10 years ago. Which, again, is what they're trying to do here, is predict the future of all of these spaces. Yeah, well, but the problem is this is what ex-ante means. Yeah. It's and if you're point. going to say we're not going to do ex-post, we're going to do ex-ante, well, yeah, but that's kind of difficult. I mean, that kind of takes me to something else we were kind of chatting about earlier, which is the sort of structural difference in US competition law yes. versus European and UK competition law. Which is worth digging into, yeah. Yeah, so in the US, you sort of have these two binary decision points. So you've got the binary decision point, which is, do we let them buy this thing? And it's, you know, even within that, it's interesting that this is a lawsuit. It's not like a regulatory process. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because in the UK or in Europe, this wouldn't be a court case. It's something that it would be a decision taken by a regulator that could then be challenged in court. And so this is what's happened in the UK with Facebook buying Giphy, which was even even more weird, like the UK's CMA, Competition and Markets Authority, decided, told Facebook that they had to unwind their acquisition of Giphy. And everyone said, like, what the hell are you talking about? How the hell is that <laughs> anti-competitive? Um, and now the court, UK courts have told the CMA they have to revisit that decision. But the core of it is it's a decision taken by a regulatory agency. It's like the SEC or the FAA or the FDA making a decision. It's not a court case. And so you've got that kind of, and that's just a, that's an, a, that's a mechanism point, but it's also that you've got this kind of binary distinction, let buy, don't let buy. Yeah, you're not being sued right off the bat, basically. Yeah. But then the second point is, if you look at, for example, the, the Apple Epic thing is, the decision, how should the Apple App Store be run in the US is, did they break the Sherman Antitrust Act written sometime in the 19th century? And then you have to go to a judge and persuade them. Like, what are the clauses in this law that was written in the late 19th century to deal with like Standard Oil or a bit earlier, maybe like to deal with deal, deal with the robber barons. And and so, again, it's this sort of binary question. And if the answer is yes, then the judge gets to write a whole bunch of stuff about what you have to do. <laughs> Whereas the way again, the way it would work in Europe or in the UK is that a regulator can sit and, and regulate the behavior. Of that company you can create you obviously you have to make the company right you have to determine that the company is subject to regulation but like in telecoms mm. or in media that like there is a regulator who just says no you can't do that you have to do this and in generality what can happen is that the regulatory agency can basically say look we don't like the structure of this market so we're going to change it and they don't have to prove that you broke the law this is kind of the crucial point that in the us the kind of the unit of decision is crime this is criminal this is unlawful you've broken the law you can't do this. Whereas in other jurisdictions, what happens is, you know, there's a more kind of technocratic process in which a bunch of regulators as opposed to judges say, we think this is an undesirable outcome and we're going to change the way that this works. Um, and so this is what you're seeing in um, 
as I said, this is what you see in telecoms, this is what you see in media. Um, in the EU with the DMA, you've kind of got a mix of both because the DMA basically creates a set of new obligations. And then there's a regulatory agency that can kind of go in and say, we think this is how we think it should be run. But the DMA basically says, changes how app stores can work. And then there's an agency that will go in and decide whether you're doing it right. But it's not like, it's not that you have to kind of prove a crime in quite the same way. And so the reason I, I mean, I've sort of, been a bit long winded about this, but the kind of reason I'm getting at it is like there's a bit of, I would suggest maybe there's a bit of sort of the person with a hammer thinks everything is a nail or has to treat everything as a nail. And in the US, the only tool you have is a hammer. The US isn't going to get an equivalent of the DMA. It's also might, might even, and there's some suggestion it might actually get a federal privacy law, but it's not going to get an equivalent of the DMA. And therefore, your intervention points are sued to stop the acquisition or wait and see if they break the Sherman Antitrust Act and 10 years later come back and sue them. So there's a little bit maybe of like process forcing intervention here. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's you know someone who knows a great deal about US antitrust law might tell me that's not quite right. But there's just kind of a, a sort of an impression of like, well, this is the tool you have. You can sue to stop the acquisition or you can sue under, sue under antitrust law, but you can't like just kind of go in and regulate it midway. And so when Europeans talk about ex ante regulation, they're not talking about suing in advance, they're talking about writing rules in advance. Yeah. And does it mean now that Khan's job right now is going to have to be to convince a judge of her predictions of the metaverse VR and how Meta's purchase of this virtual app is going to harm competition down the road? Like, how do you go about doing that? So that's not an, because we can criticize this all we want, or we can not even criticize, but we can look at this. But what I'm looking at now is Khan's got a really big lift on her hands right now to make the case for this, surely. Well, so, so you know, this is sort of, you know, similar to some of the arguments that America has around what's in the, Supreme, yes. what's in the Constitution yeah. and what the Supreme <laughs> Court can say. Because I'll be treading carefully here, but there is a quest difference of, you know, clearly what happened in the Apple Epic case is that the... The judge said, look, these people have crazy profit margins, but that's not mm. against the law. Like other policymakers should look at this profit margin, but the law doesn't say there's anything wrong with this. And of course, that's not how UK or European regulation works. Um, but it is kind of how the US works is, well, what does the Sherman Antitrust Act say? Mm. And so Lena Khan, and again, I'm not, we're not, this is not a legal podcast, but you know, she is attempting to shift the way that the U.S. has interpreted and the ideas of antitrust without getting a new, necessarily getting a new law passed. Now, obviously, in parallel to this, there's a whole bunch of what you could kind of call press release bills that have gone been introduced in the U.S. Congress in the past couple of years. Some of which are uh, some of which are vaguely sensible. Some of which are clearly nonsensical, and those only purposes to get the author's name into the headlines and say, "I introduced a bill to do this," and clearly it was nonsense and it was never going to go anywhere. Um, and so there are all laws in Congress. Um, around like how app stores work and so on. Um, but clearly what she's been trying to do is shift the way that the US enforcement agencies and courts think about the tests that you should apply using the existing legislation and how you should, what you should, what you should or shouldn't let people do. And, you know, kind of going back to what we were kind of saying at the beginning, it's very easy to kind of look at this and say, this isn't, you know, Again, I'm, I don't have the numbers, but like, and we're actually interesting, we'll get the numbers yes. of the court case. But like, supposing it, supposing it comes out in the court case that they had like a million users and the acquisition was 10 million bucks. It's just not. 
Well, yeah. And, and it's kind of e- very easy to look at that and say you're out of your mind, that you're just going to ban every act for hire soft la- and soft landing. What a you're precedent just going to shut to down all M&A. And how, on, and how on earth is this anti-competitive? Because if they hadn't bought, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to say if they hadn't bought it, it might have gone out of business. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But if for the sake of argument, that's the outcome in this case, if they had of the discovery that if they hadn't bought it, within would have shut down. How do we interpret that? Would we still say, well, yes, but it's still wrong for Facebook to... Yeah, are we going to stick to our guns and keep yeah. pushing on it or not? Yeah. S- say it doesn't say that. I mean, I can't, you know, there's only 10 million people maybe using a VR headset. Facebook probably sold 15 million. So there's maybe 10 million people using one. You know, this is a very early, very nascent market. We'll get a bunch of data from Discovery. Hopefully we might even get how many people have a VR headset at Facebook. That would come out of Discovery. Benedict's very excited <laughs> about that. Yeah, whether it, whether whether it's redacted or not is another question. Yeah, yeah. But like that might that will come have to come out of Discovery. Is how many people has Facebook got using this stuff? Um, but you've got but you've got this sort of what does it mean to buy something very small and very early? And is it reasonable to say this is anti-competitive based on a theory that this might be a seventy-five billion dollar company in ten years, the way Instagram was? And remember how everyone thought Facebook spending a billion dollars for Instagram was insane. At least that was a billion dollars. This is not a billion dollars. This is whatever it is. It's not a billion dollars. It's going to be interesting because it's then well, what the, what other options do we have or does Khan have? If it's like well, we were too early on this and it was too meaningless. It was a tiny acquisition, not worthwhile not worth our time, not worth looking into versus, oh shit, we should have looked at this sooner. Well, what what are we left with? What are the other options that we are left with to ensure that there is an anti-competitive behavior? Well, this is kind of what I I was sort of circling around earlier, which is that I'm not convinced that trying to make these kind of guesses is a good basis for policy. And I would suggest that trying to do regulatory conduct regulation is at least a more kind of repeatable and predictable and sustainable model than, you know, guessing the toss of a coin on these teeny tiny acquisitions. I mean, do you really think that it's kind of sustainable to go to to set to, on, on the one hand, you to ban, what are you going to do? You're going to ban Google, Facebook, Amazon, Amazon, Microsoft, Salesforce, Oracle, all these companies, you're going to ban 20 or 30 companies from buying small businesses. Like, you're out of your mind. You're going to review every single one of them and try and guess what's going to happen. You're out of your mind. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, it's. I'm not sure that's a great model either. But as the but as the FTC, can you come back five years? Do you have a legal basis to do that and come back five years and say we don't like how you're running this business? Because they can't really do that with the App Store, or they'd have done it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. We're, we're getting into legal rather than tech conversations here. But there is that kind of question: Is it a sort of is there a sort of a now or never thing? Whatever it is, I think this is clearly a, a sort of a an attempt to shift that's it stance stance overall in how you think about these mm. acquisitions and how you think about tech competition. I like this because I feel like this will there'll probably be a part two or maybe a part three to this story because right now the rest of our conversation yeah. will be purely speculative. So I guess we we wait and mm. well, it's all speculative at this point. <laughs> yeah, we have no idea. Um, um, but we'll find out. Amazing. Great. Good Good to to chat. chat.